0: Hello and welcome to ADHD Fest, the podcast all about adult ADHD with a little bit of self-help and maybe a bit of magic thrown in there as well, just for the hell of it. How are we all this week? I am feeling good. I've had a bit of a rubbish week, but I tell you, I've just been to a gong bath. If you've ever heard of one of those, definitely a little bit woo-woo. It's like a sound meditation where they play like gongs and musical instruments. Highly recommend, particularly for ADHD. But that's not what today's podcast is all about. That's just why, why I'm feeling pretty zen right now. I will do an episode on that probably later down the line. But today's episode, I'm going to admit to you right now, is probably going to be plagiarized quite a bit because I've been massively inspired by another podcast, which is the Mel Robbins podcast. If you haven't heard of her before, I have mentioned her before, but you may not have heard of her. She wrote the book, The Five Second Rule, which was massively popular. And she was diagnosed late with ADHD. She was 47 when she was diagnosed. She's got her own podcast. that has been going for about nine months and she's never done like a fully specifically ADHD episode, but she chose to do one last week. I've only just gotten around to listening to it and listening to her tell her story just made me really want to share mine. I don't feel like I've fully done that on here yet. I've I've shied away from sharing my personal story quite a lot. You hear snippets of it here and there, but mostly just because I feel like that's not what you're here for. We're here for you. We're here to find out more about you. And I don't want to make this podcast about me in any way apart from my ADHD. But Listening to her tell her personal story, and that is exactly what she started out with, I realized there is, there's a lot of weight to do in that. And I feel like I'm repeating myself. I feel like I have said this in another podcast and I've probably shared some of my stories. So if I'm repeating myself, oh, well, I've thought of new things to share with you and hopefully you'll enjoy it. And hopefully you'll see a few glimpses of yourself in there. I'm going to touch on a fair few points that she made, but I just want to add my own spin to it, but I massively recommend you go over to Mel's podcast and listen to that episode. I think it's called um, the six surprising signs of adult ADHD. And I haven't actually listened to that part of it. I've listened to all the science bit and all her telling her story. And then she started going into the signs, the surprising signs. But to be honest, because I've been diagnosed now for 18 months and I've been down the rabbit hole myself, I pretty much know them all. So they would be surprising. If you're early on in your journey, then I 100%, even just the first half of her pod, is really just, it's validating. It's not so much brand new information, but the way she describes it is really validating and will really make you feel differently about your journey, I think. So first of all, Mel talks about how she found out about her ADHD by complete accident. And funnily enough, I found out about mine completely by accident as well, in a very, very similar way she was look at her child her son oakley has adhd but they didn't find out until quite late and when she was looking at um the description she realized oh it described her quite a lot and the doctor was like well yeah that's obvious it's obvious for years that you've had adhd my story a little bit of background is i've always been heavily into self-development i've always been heavily into the law of attraction if you can't tell The minute I picked up the book, The Secret, which was when I was 16 and it was handed to me by one of my friends, Nans, I just absolutely loved it. Then I found Tony Robbins at age 18, loved him. And I've always been really into self-development, spirituality, love it all, can't get enough of it. But whenever I've put it into practice that I've come up against brick walls. And I know I'm putting my all into it, but it just, for some reason, it works, but it doesn't work. I don't feel like the amount of effort I'm putting into it is the amount of reward I get out of it, if you know what I mean. And it's been quite deflating over the years. Um, And I have seen that I'm different to my peers. Not that I ever felt different. You know, like some people, when they talk about autism and they find out later in life and they go, I always felt different. I always felt different to my peers. I didn't feel different as in on the outside. I felt like my abilities were different, but it's really hard to describe. I I didn't feel like an outsider. I made friends quite easily, but the way I made them was to be self-deprecating. So I learned early on the way to make friends was humor, the way to get through struggles or my failures was to make fun of myself, me be the make the joke first before anyone else and like, and was never bullied or anything because I would bully myself first and I could give it back as well. I was quick with my tongue and I was fiery. So it just didn't, I didn't feel this outsideness that people talk about. And I think that's why I never looked any deeper into maybe if there was, was an issue with me because Yes, I knew I had shortcomings. Yes, I knew I had weaknesses, but I just always thought they were a choice. I thought I was different because I wasn't afraid to not follow the norm. That's what I told myself anyway. I just never, ever looked any deeper into myself. I knew I was struggling after I had Theo, for sure. I definitely had some memory loss. I definitely had anxiety. Um, I definitely felt the weight of that responsibility and I definitely knew that career-wise I struggled with discipline and I would get really frustrated with myself because growing up in a dance background in particular there's a strong emphasis on discipline and I understood the importance of discipline. I wanted to be disciplined and I could be disciplined in certain settings but in career-wise I always wanted to start my own business and I just could not discipline myself enough to be consistent. And it was really reaching the point where it was getting me down. So I was looking for answers for sure. During lockdown in particular, I thought, right, this is my time to look inside myself and find the answers. Meanwhile, just before lockdown, I had put Theo, my son, into nursery one day a week. And I think he was just under two. And first he loved it. He really loved all the toys. He loved the attention. And Long story short, it was a real bad nursery and I didn't know and they basically called me in and said, you know, he's screaming crying all day and he's not playing with the other kids and we think you should get him seen by a GP. And I was just like, where is this coming from? They gave me little reports every day and never mentioned this. Just one day they called me in and basically told me he was expelled from the nursery. So I was obviously very worried. I took him to the health visitor. And she said, I'm sorry, but what they're saying is ridiculous. He's far too young for them to be saying anything like this. So I just put it deep down somewhere. I was worried, obviously, from then on, I was watching him closely, but then we went into lockdown and I, his behaviour, his emotional well-being grew really fast. He did really well from lockdown. I think just because we all were in the house a lot together, he spent a lot of time with his older sister. He did really well during it, but I decided it was time to do some soul searching. This is my time now. Because of the struggle after having Theo and the anxiety, and then added on top what this nursery had said, and I felt like I'd missed something in my own kid, I got super anxious, and I actually got a bit scared to go out. I wouldn't leave the house unless it was with Peter, and no one really noticed, which was funny, but I just kept making excuses i suppose it was easier having a young child to make excuses and plus i live quite far away from any of my old friends and family because i'm in leeds they're all in liverpool so i just if peter couldn't come with me i'd just make an excuse um but i could not leave the house without him i felt really anxious luckily he works from home so we could do a lot of things together like theo and i would play in the house during the day and then at lunchtime he, Peter and I would all go to the park for half an hour or something. So he would still be getting out. And I don't know whether Pete was enabling me a little bit because obviously if he didn't do that, I would have had to figure it out for Theo's sake. I couldn't just, you know, sit in the house with him all day, every day. So anyway, I decided during lockdown that this couldn't carry on. And once the lockdown lifted, I was going to make sure that I was confident, I was a good mum, I could take him out. So I had looked into a lot of, things that might be the problem with me. I looked into maybe trauma. I looked into social anxiety. I looked into agoraphobia. I got some hypnosis. I did loads of courses, downloadable courses, worked with people online, and it all helped for sure. It helped a lot to do that soul searching, but obviously ADHD was not on my radar and looking back now, it's so frustrating because I spent like a year and a half of my life doing all this soul searching, journaling every day, trying to work out what was wrong with me and how to fix it. And the answer was something out of my control the whole time. I always thought it was like, oh, if I just go to sleep earlier, oh, if I just do this, it'll fix it. But the truth was, unbeknownst to me, it's not something that's fixable. It's not curable and it's not my fault. So I want you to know if you're that person as well that has done all the soul searching that has worked on yourself for years and you're none the wiser and you know better and you still missed the ADHD then I'm right there with you and it's not our fault because the information just wasn't out there and people didn't know this and thank god that it's finally come to the top and we can all talk about it and there's more awareness out there. That's why I do this podcast. So then post-pandemic, Theo, I was really nervous, but I thought I really need to socialize him with other children now. I was just really eager to get him into a nursery just two days a week and just see how he does. And the only one that would take him is his current school now, it was a little private nursery. I put him in and he loved it straight away. Absolutely loved it. He cried some mornings going in, didn't wanna put his uniform on. Um, But he was really, during the day, he excelled. And it was just the mornings that were tough trying to get him to go in because he just wasn't used to it. Um, But during the day, he excelled. And then about a term in, I got that dreaded phone call and it was the teacher again. And my heart sank and she was like, look, he's a lovely little boy. He's doing really well, making great friendships because that is what I'd flagged to them as he was joining i was like i just want to make sure he's making friends like and he does well socially and she was like he's perfect socially he's making loads of friends but we think there might be an emotional issue maybe his emotional regulation just seems a little bit off he's getting very upset over things that you wouldn't normally find a child being upset over so it's not over a toy it's not over like food or sweets or whatever so they were like it could be something it could be nothing but we just think like get him seen by a professional. So obviously as a mom, your mom guilt kicks in that, oh, I've missed something again. And they were right when they got rid of him from the old nursery and my heart starts beating. And I spoke to the GP, got him some appointments and I have to say, this is all when he was three and he's now six and he is doing perfectly fine. His emotions, he's got a real, um, what's the word? He's got a hold on them now. He still gets emotional because obviously he's six, but I think just he was getting used to school and lockdown did a number on our kids. So I'm sure that affected him, but he's absolutely perfect now. But let's go back to that time when I didn't know what was wrong. And I was looking at emotional regulation problems and the GP was kind of steering me towards autism and getting him assessed for autism. So I looked at that and I looked at the list and I was like, I just can't fully fit that with him. It doesn't sound like it matches up with, my experience of him anyway obviously it's very early so it was hard to tell at that time so i thought what else can i look at that has a problem with emotional regulation and an article on adhd came up now i didn't notice myself in it straight away at all you know some people like read it for their kids and like oh my god this sounds like me the light did not go off for me but i what i was reading kind of matched up with theo so i really was delving deep into adhd Obviously for boys, for kids, because that's what Theo is. And then, you know, you get those like sponsored ads that come up when you've been looking at a subject and Facebook's really annoying or um, Google just come up with something. So an article came up about adult women with ADHD. And honestly, I nearly didn't click on it, but I just thought, oh, didn't know adult women could have it. And out of curiosity, because obviously I was down the rabbit hole, I thought, oh, I'll just give it a read, even though it's not relevant to me at all. What a joke that was. So I read it and I was like, oh, oh, every point that I read, I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Did a little bit more research and uh, ended up on TikTok, as we all do. And I found um, pink pear bear ADHD on TikTok and she had a blog and she was like, have a look at my blog. If you think you might have adult ADHD and I'll link that blog post down below, but it was word for word, my life. So I thought, "Mm, am I being dramatic here? I took it downstairs and Pete was sat in the living room and I just said to him, Oh Pete, I've got this um, article here that I'm reading. I'm not going to tell you what it's about, but I just want to read it out to you and see what you think. So I read it to him in its entirety and then looked at him and he was like, what? And I was like, what do you think? And he was like, well, it's you, isn't it? Is that the, is that the joke? Like it's, that's exactly what you're like. What is it? And I was like, it's adult ADHD. And we were both just like, didn't even know you could have adult ADHD. What is that? And then, so of course I thought it, he'd backed it up. He was like, that is you through and through a hundred percent and it felt like an instant relief. It felt a bit euphoric at first because there was this magical answer to why I had all the problems that I had and it was a definitive label and it was it was a name. It was a name for all the things that I did, that had held me back for a long time, and it just felt exciting at first, like, oh my god, thank god, I've been looking for this answer for so long, and now I've finally got an answer, but of course, that was short-lived, because it's such a complex, um, a complex issue that I'm still learning about it today, so it was an answer insofar as a label, but there was so much more learning to do. It wasn't an answer and here's the solution and nice in a neat bow. There was a lot more to it. And of course, then I went to the GP and spoke to her and found out about the right to choose route. If you want to know more on that, I've got a freebie in the show notes section. There's a link there and it gives you all the information on right to choose. Um, I was nervous to speak to the GP at first, but she was great. She just listened to what I had to say and she was like, yeah, I think you're right. I think you can... Um, be seen by a specialist and um, I had to wait about four months to be seen so not long at all because this was quite early in that wave. Um, Mel Robbins calls it the lost generation so I didn't wait long to be seen at all but in that time I learned as much as I could about ADHD but I didn't actually like let myself feel the full feelings of having ADHD because I thought I, I don't think I let myself fully believe it until a professional had told me. I just didn't want to get hell-bent on this thing and fully feel the effects of it and what that meant and then an expert turned around to me and go, oh actually no, you haven't got it at all. So I, I kind of stayed in that state of just learning, just learning lots and it not actually fully affecting me and then I got the diagnosis and it was again a relief, an absolute relief for her to say yes you are right. This is what you've got. This is the answer. And she was very thorough. Um, the s- psychiatrist I spoke to, very thorough in her questioning. And she asked a lot of questions that I didn't expect. And she took me down a lot of routes in my past that I didn't even think of. And do you know what I mean? Like she was jogging my memory. She was like, what did you do when you came first out of school? What did you do at this time? So it was just like telling my story of my life. And I'd made a pact with myself at the beginning to not try and second guess the answer she was looking for. I thought, just be absolutely truthful. And I'll be honest, it was hard at some points because you lie to yourself over the years. Like where she would say, do you struggle with, I don't know, my memory is terrible now, but say she said, did you struggle with getting your homework in on time? I mean, for me, that's a really obvious one and I'm not that embarrassed about it, but there was something she asked where I've told myself, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine with that. I can do that easy. But when I step back and look at it in black and white on paper, it's like, no, you're terrible at that. Actually, you didn't give him one piece of homework ever. Um, but you tell yourself, oh, I could do it. I'm just choosing not to. So that's where it's hard is you've got to look at it objectively. Was it that you Chose not to do it, or was it that you couldn't do it? And sometimes it's really hard to work that out because, as a coping mechanism, you might tell yourself it was a choice, which I did. When she confirmed it, yes, it was a relief. And then, say, about a week, two weeks afterwards, it was overwhelming grief like absolute grief. Not grief at the fact that I had ADHD or grief at the fact that I'd now been diagnosed as ADHD. It was grief because the pennies started dropping on my past and areas where I had lied to myself and I had made the best out of a terrible situation because I thought I'd controlled it. I thought I was the one making the choices when in fact it was ADHD making those choices for me. And the social anxiety, you know, it was a good year of my child's life that I had massive social anxiety and wouldn't go out without Peter. Thank God my situation is that Peter at home. It's that, you know, I didn't have to go out loads. We had a big garden, so it didn't make that much of a difference. But knowing that that would not have happened, I can look back and say that would not have happened if I wasn't undiagnosed with ADHD. If I'd have known as a child, as a teen, that I had ADHD and I was treated and medicated, that would never have happened. And I think my life would be very different. And saying that, the good things wouldn't be there either. I think that's what got me out of the grief in the end. Like, you have to kind of feel it, get through it, realise all those situations so they don't come and bite you on the arse later. You need to realise, oh yeah, that bad thing happened because of ADHD. Oh yeah, and that bad thing happened. But then once you've got them all out you can start looking at the good things that wouldn't have happened either if you didn't have ADHD. Or sometimes the good things aren't as a direct correlation with ADHD, but they come out of some of the bad things that happen. So say like something bad happens and it pushes you to, I don't know, start a new hobby or a new group, something. And then you make your best friend of your whole life. Do you know what I mean? Like the good things that came out of it. And for me, one of the best things that came out of my... Not knowing I had ADHD my whole life is actually this podcast and ADHD Fest as a whole brand because it's the first thing that's given me some real direction. It's fun to do, but it also ticks that box of actually helping people as well. I get so many messages. and It's not a huge podcast. I don't get loads of listens, but the people that are listening, you that are listening right now choose to get in touch and speak to me and tell me your story. And that's just, that's just the best thing that has come out of my ADHD. And also the fact that say something did come out in Theo later in life, it it hasn't at the moment, but say he was ADHD, I can be that cushion for him. He's never going to have the experience that I had. I know firsthand how in hindsight it should have been handled. So Yeah, that's my diagnosis story. That's how I felt about it. I've rambled on for quite a long time now, so I'll probably cut it down a little bit. But I also wanted to share a few facts that Mel Robbins shared on her podcast, just in case you don't go and listen to it. I think you should. Um, Listen to this one first, obviously. But then I do think you should go and listen to it. It's quite long, so you might have to split it up into parts, maybe a long car journey or something like that. But I wanted to share some of the facts she shared, just in case. And she was saying, particularly for girls, and these are specific to women and girls, but I want to say it is a sweeping statement to say, oh, boys are the ones that are erratic and running around and fidgeting, and girls are the ones that won't stop talking. Yes, by and large, yeah, that is what happens. It presents completely differently in boys than it does in girls. But the truth is, I have had messages from men multiple men, saying that that's how it presents in them too. They're not the hyperactive type, they're the inattentive type and they have these symptoms too. The statistics that Mel shared were specific to women. So if you're a man listening, I'll apologize, Um, but we do have mostly women on here. But it was saying the way it comes out in girls, um, when they are undiagnosed, it makes them four times as likely to commit suicide or self-harm which I just found absolutely shocking absolutely shocking I have never I've never personally been want to go down that route I've never got so gotten so low that I've felt like I wanted to do that or self-harm but I can see how someone would get there I think the only reason I haven't gone down that route is because of my um my situation as in No one in my family went down a traditional route. We were all self-employed. We're all in show business. So even if I felt a failure with my peers at school and people around me, I still had that core group of people who were exactly like me around me, who were, you know, off the wall, creative and celebrated that. So I don't think, I think that's why I've never gotten to that point. But definitely the experience of being a mother where you are judged side by side with neurotypicals. Definitely I can see how that would happen and it just is so upsetting to hear that statistic. I think that's the beauty of diagnosis is when you can see there's a valid reason why you can't live up to the same standard as the neurotypical next to you. It takes the blame off of you a little bit. The self-harm and um, attempts at harming yourself really come from shame. They come from deep shame, guilt sadness, Um, and I just think it alleviates the shame when you know there's a reason for it. Another fact she shared was that girls present a lot later than boys do. So girls on average only start to present with these symptoms from age 12. So if you had good reports at age like five, six, then don't worry about it because it can present a lot later in girls. Boys are supposed to present as early as seven. I can see why it would um, come out in girls later because for me in particular, I think it was always there, but at five, six, you're just not asked to have the responsibility. You don't need that level of executive functioning that you need when you get to like 12 and you got to do homework and stuff. And you know, there's a lot more expectations on girls. One thing that she says that I think all of us know by now, but I do want to point it out just in case you're new to the ADHD world and you don't know it, is that why we were missed as women is because all the studies in ADHD, they only studied boys for a long time. They only studied it in boys. So how in the world would they spot it in a girl? (laughs) Because they only studied boys. So forgive yourself as well if you didn't spot it in yourself because the experts didn't even bloody spot it. And as I said before, we are now having the label of lost generation. I don't know whether I like that or not. Um, But also she talked about, which I liked, was that ADHD is not a lack of attention. It's not an inability to focus. It's an inability to strategically and appropriately point that focus on something at will. So what she was saying was it's a structural and chemical difference in your brain. It's literally a structural difference in your brain. Your brain is a different shape in parts or it's built physically differently. It's if you could see your brain, it's like a physical disability. It's not a mental disability. It's physical and they're also that structural difference creates a chemical difference in your brain as well. And the way she explained it was really good. The conductor of an orchestra, your prefrontal cortex is the area where these differences are and the prefrontal cortex is your conductor. And that's the person who quietens down the orchestra, quietens down the noise, both outside and inside, and points the orchestra towards the task at hand, which we will say is the sheet music. It's the one that directs you, okay, today we need to sit down and do this piece of work. We're gonna forget that we've got a stomach ache. We're gonna forget that there's building works going on next door. We're gonna drown out, the distractions on the phone. We're going to put off the tasks till later that we needed to do that we forgot to do yesterday. And we're going to focus on this piece of work in front of us. That is how a normal free front, free frontal, prefrontal cortex works. And that is where we have the issue is it's not that we're incapable of doing the piece of work. It's just, we can't switch off everything else that's going on around us, that conductor is not doing its job very well. And I like the way she described that. She also explained that untreated ADHD can lead to chronic anxiety and depression, which I think you probably know by now, but it's worth saying again, if you've suffered with anxiety or depression all your life, it's probably the undiagnosed ADHD. It may not be that you have generalized anxiety disorder, it may be because of the untreated ADHD. You can have both. She also said, and I didn't know this, and I'm wondering where she's getting her info from, but she's saying she's spoken to like the top doctors and whatever in a study. But she said boys, as they grow older, actually their ADHD symptoms tend to get better. And women, as they get older, their symptoms get worse. Which would make absolute sense because I feel like some of those boys that struggled with hyperactivity when they were younger go on to like channel it really well. Although, I have to say, I bet they do get better as they get older because boys, not all of them, but boys are spotted earlier. So unless they're undiagnosed and they're doing that study of two sets, undiagnosed boys and girls, or both diagnosed boys and girls, then... I don't think that would be a fair study so I'd like to know that but it says boys get better as they get older and women get worse and to be honest I definitely got worse but I think I got worse as I got older just because there's so many more responsibilities on your shoulders and it's unfortunate and I don't want to be sexist about it because it's not the reality in every household but nine times out of ten we still live in a society where women are expected to do the lion's share of the housework, the lion's share of the child rearing, and then go out to work on top. So I'm sure the symptoms will get worse. Um, and you know, men, I'm sure they struggle at work and stuff, but they just don't have that level of expectation on their shoulders that women do. And I'll just sum up what Mel was saying with this last point where she said, the whole problem with ADHD is executive functioning it spans off into a million different behaviors, symptoms, problems. But overall, all of this drains your energy, particularly when you're undiagnosed. If you are undiagnosed and you are fighting your own prefrontal cortex and you don't know that you have these issues and you see everyone else around you can do it fine, it drains your energy. It drains your positivity and it makes you Just be self-critical, it makes you tired and that is what leads to burnout. Sometimes we can hyper-focus, which is wonderful and we can get something done and we're really good at it but guess what? When we're finished, it leads to burnout. Hyper-focus is not healthy either. It feels good and we get lots done but then we've got to deal with the inevitable burnout. All in all, I think what we can learn from her podcast is A, share your story. I think we all need to share our stories as much as possible. Please come and share yours with me. B, we're in this together. We need to research this more together. We need to find out strategies to help each other. And C, don't let it get on top of you. You're only draining your own energy by trying to fit in with a neurotypical world. I understand that you still might want to reach those goals that you set for yourself. You still might be that perfectionist. You still might be wanting to achieve that same level as your neurotypical peers. And you don't see how life's going to work if you don't, because believe me, I was there. But once you start letting go of the reins a little bit and not letting it drain you so much, which is exactly what it's going to do, the more you bang your head against the brick wall, Once you drop a little bit of that perfectionism, once you let yourself breathe, once you take that pressure off and accept I have ADHD and this is going to drain my energy, it frees up that little bit of energy. And then you might not be hitting those perfect targets, those standards that you want to reach of a neurotypical, but you'll find yourself with just a little bit more energy And you can put that energy into something positive for you. You can put that into self-care. You can put that into learning more about yourself. You can put that energy just into maintaining an equilibrium and showing up as good as you can every day. And as good as you can might be getting everything done one day and it might be spending most of the day in bed another day. It's just what energy you have there and then. I hope this hasn't been too rambly because we all know I tend to ramble. I feel like if you're listening, you probably ramble too. So hopefully you will forgive me. I'll see you all next week. Don't forget to check out the links down below. We've got the burnout Bible down there. We've got the freebie if you're looking to get diagnosed in the UK. I've got my Instagram down there, TikTok, the Facebook group, the Facebook community. Come and say hello and I'll see you all next week. Bye.